hello and welcome everyone to the first of the RPG Academy Network GM Summits. What we are trying to accomplish here tonight is to bring together some of the members of the network to share our experiences that we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. Uh, the idea is to filter questions from the audience. At this moment we have none, but we're hoping that will change. I do have a few questions that were sent to me beforehand, so we will have some things to talk about if nothing uh, is coming to us from the audience. And as always, we hope you guys will enjoy, and please give us some feedback. So to start things off, my name is Michael, also known as Professor Fluff. I am the co-host of the RPG Academy podcast, which is the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. I've been playing role-playing role games for about 28 years. I have been the DM most of that time, uh, but it's also been a very small and secluded group. Uh, so on my screen, I'll just go from right to left. So Lucas, you would be next. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Lucas. I'm half of the team behind the City of Brass, which is a web uh, website for managing your your games. Um, I've been playing RPGs for 27 years, most of that time in Dungeons and Dragons or some version of Dungeons and Dragons. All right. So next up, we have Jim McClure. Jim, go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Uh, hi, everyone. Of course, uh, my name is Jim McClure, and I'm the host of a show called Talking Tabletop, as well as Hero's Journey, uh, another proud member of the RPG Academy Network. And on Talking Tabletop, we have wonderful, candid discussions with notable personalities within the world of tabletop. And I am super excited here for the panel, because I love talking GM stuff. So, yay, I'm excited for this, Michael. All right, Devin, introduce yourself, please. Uh, my name is Devin. I am from the Sharkbone podcast. Uh, I'm probably the... Yay! I'm probably the newest to gaming. I've been gaming since uh, 2007, uh, but I jumped into it with a passion and a vengeance and pretty much started attempting to DM from the very beginning and uh, with some questionable results at the very beginning. But uh, I've done it quite a bit, and I think that I've got quite a bit of experience and things to talk about under my belt, so I'm excited for tonight. I am Christopher. I am the other half of the Sharkbone podcast. And we are also an affiliate with the RPG Academy, which is awesome. I've been a oh, I've been gaming since eighth grade, and that was a while ago. Well, a while ago for me. <laughs> it's all subjective. I mean, I'm only 32, so however long that's been. Actually, a lot of the groups that I played in, we would almost all of us take turns playing and jamming. So I've been on both sides of the screen, and I've been on the podcast since what December, January, Devin? Uh, I don't remember. Something, something <laughs> like that. He, something he, like that. He tries to forget. You also have your own personal blog that you write as uh, Eldric Fire, very uh, sort of fate focused, correct? Correct. Excellent. Currently very fate focused, but I also have a. I'm doing an actual play of Shadow of the Demon Lord, which hopefully I'll be um, getting up on my blog soon as well. Which is pretty hard work, all things considered. I've never been on the editing side <laughs> of, of everything before. Welcome to the club. All right, and uh, and finally, we we may have another of the network members join us, but for the moment, this is our final panelist. It is uh, my favorite co-host and yours, unless you're Devin. Caleb G. <laughs> hey, hey, it's the Caleb G, oh, sir. Get that right. Hey, everybody, Caleb here, Professor Crunch. I am the co-host of the RPG Academy podcast. Uh, if we're talking about history here, I have been playing role-playing games for about 
10 years since my early days in college. I guess I've been GMing for about half and half if we want to break it down like that. I'm pretty excited to see what is going to happen tonight. Hopefully this is the first of many such calls and we can work out all the technical glitches and deliver something pretty cool. Let's get down to it. All right, so I'm getting a, a message. We have one viewer, but I've got a couple messages that uh, people aren't actually able to see this. So um, if you're out there, our lonely viewers, uh, go ahead and say hi. You can enter, enter just your name as a question, and then we'll, we'll give you a quick shout-out. But until we have some questions, we'll just start talking. So uh, we all have some various degrees of experience and length of time, but I also think we have some varying degrees of things that we focus on. So I'll start with you, Caleb. What is your favorite role-playing game and why? God, that is such a loaded question. <sighs> we are going to make fun of you for your choice, I'm sure. Uh, our visitor uh, is uh, Melanie. She's also, she uh, su is supporting the Catacon, which you know I'm going to talk about a little bit, as she sent us some dice bags and a Cthulhu monster, which is adorable. So, and then we will go back to our uh, question that we started with here. So we'll start with Caleb. Caleb, what is your favorite role-playing game or system, and why do you like it so much? Okay, so here's why I feel this is a loaded question. Because if we're, we need to... I'm sorry, you're wrong. Oh my God! I I'm gonna drive to wait. Where are you, California? I'm driving to California, Texas. 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 What? I wait, why would you tell him the truth? Yes, he's in California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because on. I want him. I want him to come down here because I want to meet him face to face and give him a manly hug. Oh, then we're gonna fight. We're gonna have a oh throwdown. Oh my! We don't have to fight. We'll, oh, we'll we're go gonna to a movie fight. or something. And then we're gonna fight. Okay. So okay. here's why I feel this is a loaded question. Um. If we're talking mechanics, it's one answer. If we're talking system and genre, those are also different answers. If we want to just talk raw mechanics, what is my what are my favorite mechanics? My default answer is going to be the D20 system because it's what I've been playing for so long. So by virtue of experience and affection, it's what I know the easiest. It's the um, it's the system I know how to play without looking at the rules. Um, but I, I think that Fate is one of my more preferred systems for games that are more exciting and dynamic. Of course, if we're talking genres, then I'm always going to go horror and Lovecraft. And maybe cyberpunk. Since you're running for president, I will take that answer as a non-answer and move on. Christopher, <laughs> would you like to be the Bernie Sanders of the group and give us a direct answer? What is your no. favorite game system? Um, no, I actually would like to uh, do a continuation of what Caleb had said because there is an additional facet to that question that has to be taken into account, which is nostalgia. Because I loved the hell out of Star Wars D6 because that was the first game that I played for a long time. But nowadays, it's just... It's an outdated game system, but I would, I would play it in a heartbeat just for the nostalgia quality but not for a serious, this game's awesome because it's not as good anymore with all the stuff that has come out since then. But to answer your question, because you know, I'm, anyone who has heard me talk on the podcast or read my blog, it's Fate. 
is my favorite um, overall game um, because with aspects, you don't have to worry about situational modifiers here and there. Um, stunts are freeform, and it's not, you know, pick from this list. It's make up what makes your character cool. And one of my favorite, most favorite aspects, to pardon the pun, is with the, the stress mechanic. As you, as you improve your character, you, you don't gain more stress, so it's not like you get these bigger and bigger buckets of hit points. You know, you always have that short... Um, you're okay if you take this much, but once you go past that, then things are going to be more interesting. So I, I like that um, no matter how experienced your character is, you always have that... Um, that threats looming that you know no matter what happens even you know three level one characters you know can still seriously challenge you and uh, put some hurt on All right, we we lost you there for a little bit at least I did it got a little robotic but I think I got the gist of your answer um, I do want to give a quick shout out um, I got a message that the Q&A wasn't working I do have it on on the stream so I don't know why it wouldn't be working from someone else's side. So let me turn it off and turn it back on once again. All right, so Devin, we will move to you. You're the, I think you're the youngest in speaking of how long we've been playing. So what is your favorite game? Uh, my favorite game, and I will give you a direct answer, sir. Uh, my favorite game is the Cortex Plus Dramatic Role-Playing System as first presented in uh, Smallville. And the reason I love this game so much is it's, it really focuses on characters and relationships, and it's just, it gets so messy. The, uh, the sessions where you play that game are just so much fun because you ne you're never quite sure who's your friend, who's your enemy. Uh, I mean, you can easily have frenemies in that system where it, you know, you've got constant butting of heads and everything. I like the, the way the dice work. I like the abilities, distinctions. Everything in that system is just much fun to play with, and it, it creates such evocative and fun storytelling that it's, it's ever since I read the book, it's, I keep going back to it. It's wonderful. All right, fantastic. Uh, just to mention to Scott and Shane, yes, we do see your questions. Uh, and, uh, Jim, we know your answer, so we'll just skip you and go on to Lucas. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say right now, Jim is wrong, though. Oh, oh, we're, we're going to start. All right, Caleb. Okay. Well, I mean, Jim's favorite system is obviously um, Mechton Z, right? Because it allows you to do uh, Dragon Ball Z in space. It's not a bad answer. It's not a bad answer. But, no, it, it's, it's part of the reason I call myself an, an antagonist in a world full of protagonists. It's just like if you follow sports, you like the Yankees. I like the Yankees because they're the team that wins all the time. If I'm going to pick an RPG system, why not just pick the best RPG system, and that's Legend of Five Rings. I mean, there's not even a questionable argument on this. It's the best RPG that's ever been put out by mankind, which RPGs are the highest form of art made by mankind, so it's the pinnacle of pinnacles. I'm a huge fan of L5R. I am. It's it's my system. It's my baby. I love it. And the reason being is because I've never found another system that marries mechanics and settings so well together to be able to tell story. And that's what I honestly love about L5R and why it's the greatest system of all time. L5R 4th edition. I'm reserving judgment for what Fantasy Flight will do with my beloved baby. <laughs> Alright, so I have a follow-up question for you then. If you don't mind. 
Oh, okay. Did did you want to just keep ranking it? Because they all rank below L5R, but we well, can go no, through them all. No, because you said that L5R is the best game ever written by mankind. Yes. So what about if uh, Homo Sapiens Superior decided to publish a role-playing game? Then would that be on a different scale, since technically mutants aren't aren't human, but they're human enough. So when Professor X gives us his role-playing game, where would that fit on your scale of L5R? That's a legitimate good question. And I have to no, follow that not. up with a... I have to follow that up with another question. Does Professor X's system involve D10 dipoles and samurai? Um, samurai, probably not, because they're... So then the answer is no, it's lower. Okay. <laughs> Even if it's on a different scale. I mean, if we had both of those yeses, we might be able to work somewhere. But clearly, both, both, that's a no. Fair enough. I'm sure you need to have a superpower to play that game anyway. <laughs> yes, uh, to count the dice. All right, Lucas, what is your favorite system and why? I'm a Dungeons & Dragons player. I have been for 30 years, and uh, I probably will be till the end. I've played every edition. I love every one of them for different reasons. Uh, right now, I find myself playing Pathfinder, which... Uh, well, technically, uh, perhaps not Dungeons and Dragons. Really, is just Dungeons and Dragons. What's that? I think that was just like a weird echo there for a second. So, uh, as for myself, uh, I'll I'll agree with Lucas and with Christopher. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is my favorite game, but it's also the first game that I started with. So there is a nostalgia factor that, even though I will agree that there are games out there that I have played that do certain things better than D and D does. I still will gravitate to playing D&D, even if I have to kind of make it work uh, in weird ways, just because that's the one I really like. So with all that kind of out of the way, again, the, the point here tonight is to try to give some advice to our potential audience about how to become better GMs or how to get started. So um, I'll just kind of throw it out. Does anybody have a, uh, a, a suggestion, a topic, a tip that they would throw out to how to be a better GM or what you do specifically before you start a game, anything along those lines? I actually have a tip. Sure. Um, I stole this from um, William. Anyone who's listened to a, a variety of our podcasts might recognize him. Um, for my current game, I actually have uh, created a feedback form using uh, Google Docs. So after every game, I have my players go in and fill out this quick form that, you know, on a scale of one to three, you know, how good... You know, did you ha did your character have enough to do? Did you have enough role playing moments? Um, was the were the challenges adequate? You know, and then a few um, f uh, fields for just typing shit like you know what did you like best? What did you what could I improve on? And anything else you want to say? And so that way, um, you don't have to I don't have to request feedback right away at the end of the session. And it's also um, and it's also anonymous. So the players don't have to be like, oh yeah, this totally sucked, but I don't want to tell you that because you know, then you'll know that I say this sucks. So it's anonymous, so it helps them, but it also gives them time to fill it out. And so it, it actually helps me a lot with improving the next game session because I know immediately what's going on when I get that feedback. Because it's something I've done fairly regularly at the end of a session. I, I often will ask, you know, what did you guys think tonight? What was good? What was bad? And I very rarely get any meaningful feedback immediately after the game. But I will sometimes, you know, days later or before the next session, someone might come back and go, hey, you know, I've thought about it now, and I do kind of, um, I do kind of think this or kind of thought that. So would you say that that has been successful for you, the the anonymous factor as well as the giving people time 
before they have to answer? Yes, it has definitely made things a lot better for me. And, you know, like I said, asking immediately, they're like, yeah, it was cool, I had fun, thanks. And then, you know, I do it all online, so they just hang up the call. But there's no depth to the feedback immediately. All right, I saw, Jim, you were kind of nodding your head vigorously there. Did you have any points for, for that? Oh God, no! I I just nod my head a lot because I agree and disagree with with so much different stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I, you all you all touch on a very interesting point, I think, and and one of the big challenges, um as a GM is getting meaningful feedback back from your players. I really like the doing it anonymously thing. I think that that's great because you can actually get a level of honesty back. You know, tying into a little bit of what you said, Michael, of, and I'm sure most GMs who, who've GM'd even a little bit, uh, it's definitely that this panel has experienced exactly what Michael was describing of, I had, you know, a play session, whether I thought it was great or whether I thought it was terrible, whatever, at the end of the four hours, I go, how did you all like it? And everyone goes, okay, it was pretty good, as they're putting all their dice in their bag and picking up their character sheets, and it's like, Ah, give me, give me something, give me hate, give me something. A void is is terrible, and I think it's for a number of factors. One is the, especially you know, the immediate feedback. Players are going to be most influenced by the last thing that happened during that play session. You know, the last 20 minutes is going to be what their feedback really is about. Now. Three days down the road, when they're digesting everything that happened over the four hours, then they're starting to think about, oh yeah, that part was boring, or oh yeah, that was really exciting, or you know, whatever the case may be. And one of the other big factors that I like the anonymous reporting about is there's the aspect of most of the time the people you are gaming with are your your friends. I'm going to put in air quotes. Um, some of the people like Caleb that have gamed with me don't consider me friends anymore after they've gamed, but I, I consider you all friends. But uh, I consider you a target. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so there's the desire to not hurt their feelings, especially a GM that's put a lot of effort in it. I know me personally, a G if I sit at a table with a GM that has spent 20 hours this week preparing that session and I didn't like it, I have a real hard time saying that because I'm going to step on 20 hours worth of prep. So doing it anonymously, I feel, really does add you know, a significant thing, and there are some big challenges in trying to get information from players for those reasons. Well, and there's, there's an adult way to handle this. You can just say, that really sucked when you did that, or you can try to use some tact and explain that when you did that, it made me feel this, and that's why it lowered my enjoyment during the session, or it, it caused me to come out of the immersion uh, because this, that, or the other. But to Jim's point, critical feedback is super important to what anything that you're trying to get better at. I always like to say positive feedback makes me feel better. Critical feedback will make me better. So as players, don't be afraid to let your GM or DM know things that happen that you didn't particularly like, but understand that that's just your opinion. If the other four people at the table thought that same thing was great, then that doesn't necessarily mean that it's great or bad, but as a table, you're trying to figure out what works best for everyone. And, you know, one night you may come to the table with a lot of tactical battle plans and, and maps and minis, and the tacticians love that, and your storytellers kind of bored, but you want to then kind of offset that out with maybe another session down the road where it's the entire session of just talking to people in the streets and no combat. It, it's sort of a back and forth and a mixture. I do have a question that came in, but I want to give anyone else a chance to respond to that first question. So does anybody have, a, have an answer they want to talk about? Uh, I've got something real quick. Sure. Uh, on the topic of feedback, uh, if you're asking for feedback, um, you need to be open to it. 
And that's something that early in my GMing career was kind of tough uh, for me because, you know, you spend your time on that thing and you're like, so what'd you think? And you're on the edge of your seat. You, you've got that nervous flutter in your gut and you're like, oh my God, I hope they liked it. And then they're like, oh, well, I, I think you could have done this better or this was kind of boring or I don't know why I didn't like this, but I didn't really like it. And you got to make sure that you're not going to react to it and just kind of shut down because that's, as a GM, that's uh, a killer for your game and for your story. If you want to take the feedback and make your game better for it, uh, that's wonderful, and, and I applaud you for that, but that, that's what needs to happen if you're going to ask for feedback. And like just like the players have to think on the game and marinate on it for a while, it might be better to get the feedback in a written form because then you can read it, have your initial uh, reaction to it, and then walk away, and then come back and say, okay, now I know what they said. It's not a surprise. I'm not going to have that knee-jerk reaction to it. Now I can internalize it and figure out where to go from here. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that, that sometimes when you ask for that feedback, you are hoping for a cookie because you thought it was great and you want them to, to acknowledge that they thought it was great. And when they go, eh, then it, it can put you on the defensive. But, again, if you are asking for feedback, then, then be open to it, uh, you know, it is what it is. All right, so uh, <laughs> Caleb or uh, Lucas, do you have any comments on that before we move on to our uh, commenters or our audience question? I'll I'll throw in and say that I think <clears throat> the process of learning how to ask for and utilize feedback is part of the evolution of your GM skills. I think when everyone starts GMing, they are very much focused on how to create a story and present a finished product to the players. And a lot of times what we will see is that when you start developing your skills and evolving, you kind of move away from that. Unless you're Jim. But Jim's not always right. Um... Hey, hey, you're muted. Ha, it's funny. No one can see that. Um, but yeah, as you start to move towards a <laughs> as you start to move towards a little bit more of uh, cooperative storytelling, social storytelling, shared narration, I, I think that feedback becomes more how do I facilitate a story and not just I did this right or I did this wrong. So on top of taking people's advice and learning from the feedback, don't just say, oh, okay, well, they didn't like it when I used this mechanic. They didn't like it when I had a combat. They didn't like it when I fought a dragon. Or they really liked it when I did combat, so that's all we're going to do. Also, try to take from that how to really uh, develop and grow your technique. Because they're going to say, I liked when I jumped in and could do this. Or I liked when these other two guys started going back and forth and you incorporated what they were doing. So you can learn from that kind of stuff too. And I think that helps everyone at the table have a better time because then everyone gets involved. And keep in mind that sometimes it's even hard to articulate why you liked or didn't like something. Like I, I may have had a moment that I just was great for me, but I have a hard time explaining exactly what it was. It might have been a, a compilation of a lot of different things. All right, so Lucas, do you have anything that you want to add in there? 
don't really have much to add to that that we haven't heard. I mean, if you ask for the feedback, you need to be ready to accept it. Probably you should uh, realize you might not hear what you want. Be ready to change, um, adjust, you know, and, and change your style if necessary. But I, I think we pretty well covered that one. All right, very cool. I want to go ahead and jump Michael, to our first. Let, uh, let me let me jump in one last point because you said something that I really want to ju just. Yeah, thirty seconds to respond. <laughs> oh damn it! Um, <laughs> I, all right, I don't like Caleb. We can just move on then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Despite despite how much I don't like him, he made a really good point. Um, and, and so did you, Michael. And that is one of the other aspects to to getting advice, and this is a little bit more of an advanced GM type thing, um, but you need to also start dissecting what they're telling you within context, because as Michael, you were saying, uh, I've had a lot of players that have come to me and go, you know what, I like combat, and I'm not as big on the social stuff, I like combat. And then through playing with them, what I actually discovered is they like engaging with dice mechanics, and the way they've played in the past, that's the only way they've gotten to do it. And roleplay is talking, and combat is dice. And they are saying what they know, but there's actually a disconnect between what they mean and what they are actually saying because of their, their limited experience or their limited ability to express what exactly they want. So that's one of the other things I would recommend is also as you're getting this feedback as a DM, try to you know break down not just they liked combat, why did they like the combat? Oh, they liked that one big part where the villain showed up and, and stabbed one of the players in the back. Why did they like it? Was it the storytelling? Was it the combat? Was it the chase that happened after that? What is actually the aspect or aspects that they enjoyed of it? Very, very cool. I completely agree with that, but we will move on. Amy has a question for us, and she wants to know, um, how do you go about setting up expectations when you're starting a new game or a campaign? I'm not 100% clear on what expectations we're trying to set. Like GM expectations? Player expectations? I would interpret that as um, like, are you going to play a game that is very combat focused? Do you want your players to know, hey, when you build your characters, you might want to min-max because you guys are going to be fighting all the time, very tactical, or are you setting up a game where in my world, no one can play an elf because I have this storyline with elves so no one gets to do that. Um, Amy has, if you want to jump in, Amy, if you're still listening, if you want to try to clarify that, but that's what I think she's asking. Um, so does anybody have any, in, in that regard, anybody have any comments or thoughts? Yes. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that uh, the first thing you would need to do is have a chat, uh, either during character creation or before character creation, whenever you're doing your game pitch, and say, hey, this is my vision for the game. Uh, this is these are the things that I think are going to happen throughout the story. What do you guys think? Uh, give your players some input so that they can help create the game that everyone's going to take part in. Yeah. So um, to kind of to continue, we 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 when we transition from one game to another, um, we always spend a week or two uh, kind of talking about the the expectations for what that game will be. Um, we always play in the same setting. So there's, there's not a question as to setting and, and rules and things of that nature, but um, we'll talk about whether it's going to be an urban adventure or a campaign or whether it's going to be heavily combat-focused or just so they get an idea of the types of skills and the types of characters, the types of classes that they might want to play. Um, so we do some, some back and forth and some Q&A. Um, typically, um, I'll present kind of at a high level, you know, what I, the type of game that I intend to run and then get feedback from them and, uh, and make adjustments accordingly. 
All right. Uh, for me, and this is something that we've talked about on our show before, um, I'm a big proponent of the session zero. I think that is very, oh, very yeah. important. And if, if you're listening, you're not familiar, essentially the first time that you sit down with the players isn't to play the game. It is to discuss these very things and say, what system do we want to use? Or if you already decided that as a GM, like, hey, we're going to play in D&D or we're going to play in Fate. Um, and you work together as a group and you create characters at the table. And as a GM, you then get to see and hear what sort of characters they are creating. And if you can see that, oh, okay, this person's definitely creating like a min-maxed fighter. Uh, they clearly want to have combat. Where this other person is creating a skill monkey, you, you're sure that they're going to want to have a lot of challenges and traps to overcome. And this person's creating a bard, so clearly they want to do some social stuff. That allows you to kind of gather that information. It also allows you to direct it a little bit. If, if you don't anticipate this game is going to be heavily focused on combat, you can step in right there and say, you know... I don't know that that character fits very well, and here's why. Rather than getting to that first session with someone who brought their min-max you know, paladin that does 37 points of damage, and they never get to draw their sword. So it sort of cuts off a lot of those problems before they even start, and you kind of collaboratively decide what type of game you want. And you may come to the table and, and haven't decided that yourself, and as a group, that's when that is all created. So for me, the session zero is of utmost importance for that reason. Um, and Amy did clarify that what she was asking specifically is getting uh, what your players are interested in when approaching that game, which I think that kind of covers as well. Uh, Devin, or excuse me, well, yeah, Devin, go ahead. Oh, if I've already spoken, so if someone else has something to chime in, let them go first, and then I'll come in later. I was just going to see if Caleb or Christopher wanted to uh, chime in. I always have something to say, but I've been talking a lot, so I figured I'd let everyone else have the spotlight for a while. <laughs> Doesn't stop me. All right. But for me, is I guess very similar to everyone else, is that the session zero. You know, this is, you know, come with an elevator pitch. Hey, guys, I want to run this type of game. Hey, guys, I have, I want to do this type of, of uh, you know, campaign. I want to run it for eight sessions. It's going to be an urban game, and we're going to be running it in a fantasy setting. You Are you interested? So... As a GM, I like to have a, a sales pitch, so um, I just have a, a basic skeletal outline of what I want to do, and then the players were like, yeah, that sounds good, but instead of X, how about Y? So my sales pitch is the beginning of, um, of a conversation with the, the, the players, because so, everyone should have a say in how the game works and what's going to happen. But it's always good, for, especially for me, to set out in the beginning, I'm going to be running this game system for this many sessions, just to get that out there so the expectations are very clear. Um, we Actually, Devin and I talked about this on uh, Podchatter Episode 4, Social Contract. Um, so if you want more in-depth of my thoughts on it, go ahead and listen to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> We can do cheap plugs here? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm cheap. I can plug. <laughs> I'll, let, me, let me go out real quick, too. Um, in advance of the session zero, we our, our group does a lot on message boards and other online tools to, to talk back and forth before we get to that session zero. That's usually where we pick the system we're going to play, which is always Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and and they the players begin to set out their expectations for what they're going to be. 
All right, Caleb, do you have anything you want to add? Well, you know, my job on the show is always to sum everything up, so I'm just going to sum everything up. Uh, ask. Just ask your players. That is the easiest thing to do. Um, if you're starting out as a GM, you're not going to have a foundation. You're not going to have the knowledge, so you just have to make it clear. Whether you are drawing that knowledge from how they're building their characters, what type of characters, what they're telling you about the world, you do this in a forum, you do it in email, you just sit down and say, hey, here's my idea, what do you guys want to add to it? Just have that line of communication open. Now, as you become an experienced GM, you're probably going to be able to know your players pretty well. And you can put together a game that you know is going to appeal to some people one way and some people another, and you can try to put that all together. But again, it, it's all based in just talking, asking, and making sure everybody's on the same page. All right, excellent. So we have a couple more questions that have come in. Um, I, one of these... I had one more comment oh, on that. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go right ahead, Devin. Uh, the one, if you want to have it be something that's like directly re related to the game, you could take a page from Burning Wheel and have the players create some beliefs for their characters. And beliefs are basically goals that that character wants to work towards during the game. And so, you know, in session zero, you might say, hey, what is it you want to get out of this game? And they'll be like, oh, I want some courtly intrigue or I want a romance, or I want this. I want to be the greatest badass ever and have a giant sword that's taller than I am. You know, you could ask that, but then, you know, as play happens, things might change. If you give them these beliefs, then they'll be directly tied into the story and the characters, and so, um, and those things will always be evolving, and so it'll always be kind of like a touchstone for you to look at between every single session to figure out, what their expectations for that next game are going to be. Jim, would you like to respond? I, I mean, I think everyone said it. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll be this guy and, and go a little bit different. I, I do things seemingly always a little bit different. Um, and, and I think all of that is really good, solid advice. Um, what I personally do, and I'm not saying this is, is the way to do it, just a way to do it, um, I don't ask that much of what my players want. I tell them what I'm going to do. Uh, to, to give an example, we've already mentioned the L5R game, uh, and we have L5R Part 2 coming up in four weeks. I did not ask Michael, Caleb, James, or Kat what they want this game to be. I, I've told them, this is going to emotionally wreck you. Come in emotionally ready to handle a situation. This isn't an option. This is what I'm going to run for you. Now, that is a different tact, and that is the tact of, I'm going to run this type of game, if I'm doing this to a friend group, who's interested in playing this type of game, which is a different approach to it. Within my local group, I did the same thing recently, of we are running a, a very, very dark, very emotional, very heavy-hitting, I know, stre stretching my wings on that one, uh, game that is designed around a kingdom that is being sieged, and it's at the point where they've pretty much lost the battle, and it's just going to be the last fight it out until they lose. Who's interested in experiencing that type of game? And some of the players aren't because they know they are going to lose and die. That's how this game ends from the moment one. But it's the approach of this is what the game's going to be. Who's interested in playing it? Which is just a different way to go about it as opposed to, you know, the what are you all interested in, which I think everyone else gave fantastic advice for, for that approach. And I think both of those are valid, and I think they 
they go from group to group, from GM to GM, and even sometime week to week. There, there may be times where you want to start a game and you want to make sure you have everyone's buy-in and you want to create a game that fits their expectations. But then maybe three weeks in, you want to throw kind of a curveball just to see how they react and give them a taste of something maybe they didn't know they wanted. So, you know, with all advice, it is your, or your mileage may vary. Um, and I'm a big proponent of experimenting, trying things. They won't all work, but you won't know that until you try them. Um, so I do want to move on. We have um, we have two questions that are also kind of similar, so I'm going to just kind of lump them together, um, Anthony and Scott. So um, Anthony asks, I'm thinking about starting a group and GMing for the first time. Are there any recommendations for new GMs with house ruling, what to focus on for the story, and whether to stick with a pre-made story or to create your own? And then kind of adding what Scott was saying after that is how much of that story should be planned versus just sort of going with the flow. And I anticipate this taking a while because I know Jim has a very different answer to most of us. Um, so Jim and I are going to fight about this one. I'll let Jim I, I got to stick with theme, man. Yeah, well, again, I'll let Jim lay it out. So it, it was sort of like what you already touched on, like what you said a minute ago was in this vein, but to clarify it, so to start with the, the beginning first is, you know, um, first-time GM house ruling, what to focus on, and then how much of the story should you have written before you start? Okay, and and just a fair warning for all the panelists that don't know me as well, do not feel bad for disagreeing with me because a lot of you probably will. So I'm going to start off with some direct advice to our first question, which is, um, are there any recommendations for house ruling, what to focus on with story, what to stick to a pre-made modules or create my own? as a GM for the first time. And for those who don't know, I'm, I'm actually going through this process on Hero's Journey where I have a, a woman who is literally, she's been playing for years, but is going to be GMing her very first play session. We are chronicling the path that she's doing it. Here's my advice. Do not house rule at all. Take a system, stick to it. You, you're going to see tons of advice online about how you can change it to make it more fun or this or that. That mostly applies, in my opinion, to people that have played the game enough that they get boring or frustrated with certain elements. You are playing it for the first time. You don't know enough of ours what you're going to enjoy, what you're not going to enjoy, what your players are and what your players aren't to start house ruling. Play it as is. Don't worry about what the internet forums say. Play the game as is. As for story, start very, very basic. A princess gets taken from a castle by a dragon. You have to go slay the dragon. Slay it, bring it back, get money. Learn the basic way of what makes a story and a plot work that builds to a finale that has resolution, that has payoff, and that has continuation. You don't need to get into all the heavy, heavy details of, you know, let's make a heavy political intrigue. Let's do a, a campaign-wide play session where the, you know, the kingdom is being sieged by an outside kingdom and we're going to run three separate groups simultaneously. Don't try and go anything crazy. Start very, very basic and learn how to run it because you're going to be learning a whole bunch of things that you never really hear talked about, um, you know, on a very basic level of managing time, how to make combats work, you know, basic, how do I roll and where do I look on the character sheet to look for bonuses? You're going to have a pile, a mountain of that kind of stuff you have to get through before you're really going to worry about a lot of the other stuff. So, Am I a bad person for agreeing? No, uh, maybe, probably. <laughs> I, I agree as well, and I wanted to, to follow up as soon as he was done. 
Okay, well now I'll give you the part that I disagree on. As far as if you are not a brand new GM, um, and, and some even if you are, as far as how much story is planned out beforehand. And again, I'm not going to, I'm going to steer away from saying this is the way to do it. I'm going to, again, qualify this is my way. I heavily plan out story. I know the beats of my story from the beginning to the end. What is unique about tabletop is we always give resolution of events to our characters. We never take that away. And that's where people get scared when they talk about planning story. I plan a story all the way up until, you know, our, our big sort of set pieces, our big middle set piece, our big second act, our big finale set pieces. I know which direction I'm going. I know exactly how I'm going to plan it. It is all written out. What I don't decide is what the outcome of those will be because deciding outcomes is what takes player agency. And again, that's that's my opinion and personally what I do. Okay. Is it all right if I follow up? Sure. Awesome. Okay. So like Jim said about house ruling, don't. Just don't. And this is not just for new GMs, but when you're playing a new system, you know, say you've been playing D&D for 20 years and you're switching over to Fate. You don't know how fate does things, so you don't know what one change here will snowball later. And you know, even me, I've just started uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord, my first time playing through. I'm not changing anything. Play it by the book as written, so you know what, um, so you know how everything can work together after you've played it a little bit, and you get comfortable with how it is before you change it. Yes, there are lots of advice out there on, oh, you need to change this specifically or that specifically. But a lot of that is just when someone is looking for a specific feel, so they'll change something a little bit and be like, okay, so you know this house rule on critical hits because they don't feel, oh, they don't feel harsh enough or critical fumbles for D&D, but just play it as written because especially with uh, new GM, new players, that way everybody knows exactly what to expect. They read the book, they know what the book says, and that's what's going to happen at the table. And as for um, planning out versus improving sessions, I think starting simple and working your way up. So you know, start with um, an episodic style. So instead of planning out you know five uh, adventures at a time, just be like, okay, this one adventure, the players need to do this. The next adventure, players need to do this. You know, do it in a very TV style. And then every now and again, throw in a to-be-continued if, if you feel like getting a lot of stuff going on. So the overall goal could be, like Jim said, the princess is in another castle. So the princess has been captured, you need to go rescue the princess, and the, the king is paying you a boatload of gold, if we're going with the D&D reference. So each session is, okay, we've heard story of the princess being in this castle. Okay, let's go to this castle. We'll clear it out. I'm sorry, Mario, but our princess is in another castle. Okay, world 2-1. Let's go this. Okay, I'm sorry, Mario, but our princess is in another castle. And then you finally get to the point where you're like, okay, hey, look, there's Bowser and there's Peach. We need to uh, rescue Peach. Oh, wait, Bowser has one of his kids jump in, and Bowser gets away. So you have that to-be-continued. You know where Bowser is. You've caught him, but there's a, a, a hang-up. So start simple, um, and honestly, a great reference, I'm going to do some product placement because I absolutely think it's worth it, is Engine Publishing has an entire line of what I call GM self-help books, 
Um, one of which is uh, Eureka 501 Adventure Ideas. They're like three to five paragraph blurbs on this is an adventure. You know, here's the, the basic elevator pitch in two sentences, and then it goes on to describe system agnostically what is happening in the adventure. Pick up that book, turn to a random page, and say, I'm going to run this tonight. You know, when you have some time, go through it and be like, okay, I like the sound of this adventure, this adventure, this adventure. So all of the heavy lifting is done, and you can concentrate on the rules instead of the story. And the human mind is very good at drawing correlations where there isn't really any and uh, forming patterns out of chaos. So once you've run three or four adventures, your players will be like, oh, so to this totally is related to that first adventure when this happened because this totally makes sense. And you didn't plan it, but it turns out that way, and it's great. So start small. Don't do any house rules. Written uh, adventures are great, especially if you're starting, because it has all of the, like I say, the heavy lifting done for you. And then as you're, as you're GMing, you can learn more of your own style. If you're more improv, then you can be like, okay, I want to do this today. Let's just go with the flow, see what happens. Or if you like to do more prep, then you can you know, use Eureka as a great um, place to start with, you know, like I said, three to five paragraphs on what the adventure is about. Use that, branch out a little bit if you need more. You know, throw in some stat blocks if you need it or whatever. And I apologize, I just rambled on for quite a while. That's all right. All right, um, Lucas or uh, Caleb, do you want to jump in there? Sure. So uh, I'll just echo what uh, what everybody said as it relates to house rules. If you're new to it, new to a game, new to gaming in general, don't house rule anything. Play it as it is. Once you've got your feet wet, once you're comfortable with it, I guess if you want to start tinkering, then's the time. Um, when it comes to planning out adventures and campaigns, uh, for my my personal my personal approach, I always plan the very long game. So when we sit down to start a brand new game, I know where we're going to go over the next 12 months, 12, 24 months real time. Um, that's, that's an outline, and inside of that outline I build broadly various story arcs that, that I know will go. We're going to start here. Maybe since we play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, you know, here's our first two, three, four levels, and then we'll take a break. Um, I found that they like to they like even if we're playing a campaign that has that goes from one story to the next to the next, um, the players like to have some some variety in there. So I sprinkle in some completely unrelated adventures. So I always know where I'm going. I know the very end. Um, I know the in broad strokes the uh, the stages that we'll pass through as we get there. And then as you come down to the beginning, I know in very specific detail what the first adventure will be. I almost never know in specific detail what the second or third will be because it will grow out of what happens in that first adventure. So I like to leave lots of room for my players to take the games in, in whatever direction they want to go. I have a big group. The group, the game I'm running right now, there's 11 players and me. Uh, out of 11 people, you end up going a lot of places that you didn't really think you were going to go. Um, and, and if your outline and your plan is, is broad enough, you can continue. Uh, we'll get to the end that I have planned now, but the way we get there, the road there, we're going to all build that kind of together. So I plan very specifically for the next session and very broadly for the next 12 months or 24 months. Caleb, do you have anything to add there? Oh, I have so much I could add. Um, do it. 
<laughs> so I agree with what everyone has said about when you are first starting, play the game rules as written. Um, use a written module because if you're brand new, you just don't know what you're doing. You, you need to learn not only how the game functions mechanically, but how to tell a story. Very few people have that instinct for story arcs and resolution. I, I've got to say, the group that we have sitting here on this Hangout right now, we're very lucky. We all have a little bit of a natural inkling for how to tell a story. Not everyone has that. So I think when we're giving people advice, we, um, we have to think, what's it like to not have that just natural instinct for beginning, middle, and end kind of story? And, and that's why written modules are so awesome, because they teach you what a story is. That classic concept, those classic tropes, they show you the pacing, they show you how to reveal all of that. So that's really super good to learn. Um, I'm going to go back to Jim for a second because we've already established that Jim and I have this antagonistic relationship, so I'm just going to keep playing into this. Uh, Jim, you're sitting there with your hands crossed. You're going to be really surprised with what I say. Um, first off, you are so good at manipulating players as a GM it's bled over into your natural conversation. Because you had me agreeing with you this wonderful crest up where I was like, yeah, I'm on track with Jim. This is awesome. And then you dropped me off the cliff. And I just absolutely disagreed with you. However, as I was sitting here listening to everybody, I was ruminating over what you said, and I realized why I disagree with you. What I disagree on is your philosophy of planning a story out beat by beat. I used to do that, and I didn't think I ran a good game when I did that. So I taught myself and forced myself to become much more improv-based and kind of sporadic in my planning. What I will do is I will come up with maybe just the final scene of the game, or maybe a very loose framework of a couple ideas, and let the players slot in all of their input and just constantly shift and adjust and tell the story on the fly as I'm moving forward. I've had success with this. I'm comfortable with it. My players are comfortable with it. I think that is what makes it work because it works at my table. Now, the reason I disagreed with Jim, I realized, is because I'm jealous. I can't tell that story. I am not good enough a storyteller to actually plan out an adventure like that and then work in what players do and keep all those gears turning and still keep that story moving forward. I get too distracted. I get lost. That's what happens to me. That's why I don't do that. So I disagree with you, Jim, because I wish I could do it, and I can't. I think you guys need to hug. We, we we do we need we need to internet hug because cause, <laughs> can, can I can I tell you the dirty little secret? I can't I can't do the improv thing. You know why I can't do the improv thing? I have no 
Oh, now we're going to really bust open who I am. I have no control of the story. <laughs> I have no idea if it's going to be good, bad, or indifferent when I come in with an improv. I've, I've very intentionally developed a set of skills for that style of storytelling because it's the style of storytelling that I enjoy. And it's to the point that I have a really difficult time to the point that I am not good at doing the improv style because I need to have direction to keep me focused, whereas... As Caleb, you were saying, essentially having a forced direction is more difficult to you because you like to move the camera all around, so to speak. And I think it is, I mean, that that is the core of those different play styles of, you know, planned and focused linear plot, not railroading, but linear plot, and the improv style, you know, uh, player control, shared narrative, everything like that. Those are sort of the, the epitome of the two different ways. And I think there's talented GMs, probably ones on this panel uh, that aren't me or you, Caleb, that can adequately do both of those. And my thing is, that's that's the one that I've got. So that that's the dirty little secret. Oh, we just had no Henry moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lucas, you said you There's had some gifts of the Magi up in this shit. Yeah, I'd just like to add before we jump off this, that it's not necessarily all about the DM either. So I have uh, I have a couple of groups. Um, my my regular group, they don't they don't actually they don't want to tell the story. They want me to present them with a story, and then they want to interact with it. They want to be able to influence it and choose directions within it, but they're not interested really in uh, in deciding where we go and and how we go. Other groups, that's what they want to do. So I mean, to many to a large degree, it, it really depends on your your group of players as well. Do they want you to tell them a story, or do they want to be heavily involved in that story? So I would say for me, like most things, I try to come in somewhere in the middle that I do plan out specific things. Generally, the first session is what I plan the most. I have a very good idea of where all the characters are going to start. I have a pretty good idea of what I think they're going to do. Um, And then at the end of that first session, I'm sort of like, okay, now what? And then I try to plan the next session in front of them based off of what they did. Uh, So I do sort of a combination of the two. But to, to get back to the original question, Yes, don't house rule. And two, yes, use a module. Uh, the reason I would say to use the module, uh, Echo and Caleb, is that if you really haven't played much before, you don't really know what you're doing. And a module, assuming it's a decent one, is going to give you with the three basic types of interactions that you'll have in a game. It's going to give you some combat, it's going to give you a skill challenge, and it's going to give you a chance to do some social interaction. And once you've gone through that module, you're going to see where, A, you maybe struggle with those, or where you really shine, and what your players like. So once you've done that a couple of times, you'll you'll start to kind of feel constrained. You'll that's sort of the the matrixy thing where you want to start pushing the boundaries of reality and say, you know what, I I really like the way that worked, but I thought the character should have been able to do X, Y, or Z, and the module really didn't give me that. And that's that's the strength of an RPG is that you can do anything you want. So start with the module until you don't feel comfortable anymore and you start feeling those boundaries and you want to push them away and then maybe try to write your own session or use the module as a framework. But when they want to go off the rails, just let them go off the rails and then see if you can kind of steer them back. Um, And then kind of the other thing I would add on just to the conversation that was going back and forth uh, as far as railroading goes, uh, we've had a couple episodes of our show. I think people misuse the term on what railroading is and isn't. And isn't. So for me, I have absolutely no problem telling the characters, you are going to confront an ogre. There is an ogre between you and where you want to be. 
What I don't want to do, and I've done it, I don't, I'm not proud of it, but I've done it, as I don't want to tell them how they have to solve that problem. They could kill the ogre. Maybe they lure the ogre away. Maybe they hire the ogre to have the ogre go kill someone else. The, the goal would be let them decide how that interaction occurs and what the resolution is, but I have no problem saying, nope, there is an ogre between you and where you want to be, but how they solve that problem is up to them. So I had a couple people comment they wanted to jump in again before we moved on. Devin, did you have something there? Yeah, I did. Uh, I really enjoy using pre-written modules. Uh, they're a great time saver, and it's it's a lot of fun for you as the GM to discover that story um, as well because, you know, someone else came up and you're just reading it and then presenting it to your players. But I have one little caveat. If you're going to use a module, take the time to learn it. Like, before I run any module, I read it at least twice um, so that I can get a feel for all the different scenes and where they fit in uh, because I run games a little a little differently. Like, when I plan out games, I will plan everything that happens, uh, just like Jim does, but then I section it out into little scene modules so that I can mix and match and put those scenes wherever they seem to fit with the character's actions. And I do the same thing with pre-written modules because I take the time to figure out where everything goes and how it all clicks, so then I can start swapping scenes around and uh, do everything in response to the player's actions. All right, very cool. We have a couple more questions that came in, so we will table this discussion for now. Uh, Melissa wants to know why the ranger sucks balls in D&D 5e. Does because have everything that? sucks balls in 5e. Uh, you know he did, but I'll get because it's D and D. D yeah. sucks balls. So, so Melissa, I will say ball that ball by association. As the the fluff master rather than the crunch master, and since Caleb doesn't really like Five E, I will refer you refer you to one of my favorite podcasts now, which is uh, Total Party Thrill. Those guys do a great job of breaking down the crunch aspects, and they will be able to tell you exactly why the ranger sucks in Five E. Except that he really doesn't. I mean, he's pretty well balanced. I said hypocritically. <laughs> All right. I don't so, know. I don't know um, anything about 5e. I got a question from Derek. I don't know that we're going to be able to help Derek out uh, much, but we'll try. Uh, so Derek is working on a improv whose line is it anyway style game within D&D, the intent being comedy and entertainment. Does any of you, does any, God damn it, do any of you have any experience or advice for trying to accomplish that? Well, whose line is like a bunch of different improv games that are happening? Is there a specific game that he's going for, or just that general feel of we're gonna do a bunch of scenes? I think it's more of like a whose line is it anyway? But it's all D and D sort of focused, um, so that's going to be sort of themed about you know medieval fantasy role playing game. But that's what I'm taking. Again, Derek, feel free to to revise your question if if we're missing the point here. Uh, I, I would think this probably comes down more to like being able to improv because that's basically all whose line is it anyway is, um, which is I don't know if anyone on our panel here uh, would say that is a strength of theirs, but uh, we can try. Caleb, what do you have? Uh, well, obviously Matt Parody should be here for this because he is our actual improver. I know he's not listening because he's a jerk, but I love him anyway. Um, I guess it depends a little bit on what specifically we're talking about doing with this question. If we are talking about doing a bunch of random short-form improv games just with a medieval theme and D&D jokes, that is a little bit different than doing a true long-form improv where we're building the scene 
and creating all these different moments that are happening. Uh, we should also pull in James D'Amato because he would be able to discuss all of this and completely blow me out of the water. I'm just dropping terms and sounding really awesome right now. Um, Your I synergy and business acumen is amazing. I'm so good at this. Someone should pay me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think if we are playing a a game that is more improv-based and not playing an improv game, then your my best advice would be to probably have everyone prepare a couple ideas and think of everything in bits and pieces. Have a couple random chunks of character or plot idea or story um, don't put the pieces together, keep them a, a big jumbled up jigsaw, but have these ideas ready to go. Because a lot of times when you're doing improv, if you're not really good at it, if you don't have that instinct, if you don't have that experience, you get kind of lost in the moment and you have that deer in the headlights, I don't know what's going on and you can't come up with anything. Uh, however, if we are exploiting the tropes of fantasy and D&D &D and gaming tropes as well, um, it's always easy to make a quick joke. So ultimately depends on what we're really trying to do, but I think in general, as long as you're comfortable with the type of improv that's happening and you have a good foundation coming into it, it'll work itself out like improv tends to do. All right, so Derek did throw up a, a clarification that it was more like scenes from a hat, which is the just completely every... Every time it's a different scene, uh, but it just has a D&D themed bent. Um, I think, Derek, I just don't know, think that we are the panel that's going to be uh, right for you. Uh, but it looks like Devin does have something, and then we will move on. Uh, I did something like this once in a Smallville game. We were actually playing Dresden Files. We just used the Smallville rule system for it. And I wanted to try something that was a little more improv like that. So what I did is I gave all the players two index cards. And if I remember correctly, one of them was a location, and one of them was a situation. And um, they, I might have also had index cards for different characters. And so I made those three decks, shuffled them all up, and then for every scene, I would draw from those decks and say, okay, we've got so-and-so in this location, and this is the situation. And then they would have to, you know, role-play and use the game mechanics to get through that scene. And then after that scene, we would beginning of it, at each scene, we'd have to figure out, okay, so how did you guys get here? How does this connect with the last scene we just did, and how does this? how is this a continuation of the story? So that's the closest thing that I've ever done to what it seems like you're asking. And it was fun. It was just really wacky. Well, and I think if you're doing that, you're, you're going for wacky, so that's okay. Um, I do want to move on, though. Uh, there's a question. This one's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, Scott asks... What percentage of campaigns do you think you finished? So beginning to end, um, and what is the main issue with not completing them? Like what causes a campaign to fall apart? Zero. Zero percent, <laughs> sir. Unless we're oh, talking about I'm, those I'm sad count. for you. I've, I would have to say that it's kind of a loaded question because... I mean, for me, anyway, when I first started playing, you know, in, in middle school, we just, we would be like, hey, I've got this great idea for a game. We'd play, like, 
three sessions, then we'd drop it for another one. We'd be like, all right, let's try this instead. And so back then, we just didn't really run campaigns. There's just a bunch of strung together um, episodic. So, you know, I did a lot of that. So that would skew the percentage towards a higher incompletion rate. But to um, get to the second part, which I think I can answer a lot better, is the one thing that um, and the question's gone, so I can't don't remember what it was verbatim. But answered questions? No, maybe you can't. Oh hell yes, can we? No, I can't. No, I can't either. Anyway, um, the one thing that I think prevents a campaign from conclusion is um, false expectations. Because we go into it, it's like, when we start a game, the GM's like, alright, I have this great idea for a campaign, and they're thinking to themselves they're going to run it six, eight months, then the player's like, oh, this is going to be a three-year-long thing, and then there's this other <laughs> player that's like, oh, it's a long campaign, okay, so eight sessions instead of four? So discussing with the group what the campaign length is going to be, because if everybody's expecting something different, once, you know, for those players that are expecting a shorter game, once they get to where they thought they were, you were going to stop, they might lose interest, because like, oh, well, this is all I signed up for, everything else just kind of, eh. So they might start losing interest, or um, if the players who were hoping for the three-year-long thing you know, you start wrapping it up after six months, they're like, oh, well, this is going faster than I was expecting, so they're not able to keep up as much, or they just aren't paying attention, because, like, well, so much is happening, I don't care anymore. So if everyone's on the same page for how long it's going to last, that helps you finish them. And even if you say, okay, this campaign is going to run for six months, or it's going to run for, you know, 24 sessions. Sessions are probably better than time frame, because... You know, you miss a game or whatever. So this game's gonna run for 24 sessions. It's gonna be like a you know a series on TV. Once you get to that endpoint, reevaluate. Okay, we finished that campaign. Do we want to shelve it and go on to something else, or should we continue with these characters and play season two? Mm 